So welcome back. Over the course of this retreat so far, we've been developing a strong foundation of mindfulness of the body, which, as we know, is the first of the four establishments of mindfulness in the Satipatthana Sutta. And over these last few days, we've been strengthening our capacity to just be with our experience, with bare awareness or non-reactivity non-reactivity to whatever physical sensations present themselves in the body. So that's one part of the training in that first establishment of mindfulness. And we could easily spend the rest of the week exploring all the different other aspects of it. But because this is a relatively short retreat, we're going to move on now to continue our now that our sati and samadhi are a little bit stronger, to expand the field of our awareness beyond just the body, to include what in the Buddha's teachings are known as the six sense doors. So Dai touched into these a little this morning in relation to feeling tone, and I'll come back there soon. But just to get a sense of what the senses are, These six sense doors include the five physical senses that we're familiar with, so seeing and hearing, smelling and tasting, physical bodily sensations. And then in the Buddha's teachings, the mind is included as sense door, as a sense door partly because it can receive visual images. We can see things with our eyes closed. We can hear mental sounds. We can hear music, for example we can generate all kinds of sense impressions internally. So in our ordinary everyday life, these different sense contacts at the six sense doors, they usually feel like just a constant stream of experience. And we're not so aware that all of our myriad complex experiences actually made up of individual moments of sights and sounds and smells and tastes and touch and mental activity. So everything. (coughs) There's nothing outside of these six categories. So I sometimes like to check, has anybody experienced something that wasn't a sight or a sound or a smell or a taste or a physical sensation or a mental activity? No, if we really look, that's all that's happening in any moment of experience. And this interplay of different sense experiences comes together to create what we normally think of as the world out there and me in here. And we don't recognize that this is a flow of sense impressions that we ourselves are generating And that's an important insight. Because if we can understand how experience is happening, it's a little easier not to get lost in the content of it, not to cling to it, not to take it personally. So what we're starting to do now is deconstruct our experience into its component parts. And in fact, a literal translation of the Pali word Vipassana is as seeing separately, seeing distinctly, seeing clearly. 
And what we're seeing clearly in insight is how all of these different aspects of experience combine to construct an identity, a sense of me that's somehow separate from the world out there. So our physiology, our nervous systems, takes the raw data that's coming in at the sense doors and begins this self-constructing process. And then that gets enhanced by our habitual mental reactions to those sights and sounds and smells and so on. And in our ordinary lives, when we have an experience at any of these sense doors, we usually have an automatic mental reaction of liking or disliking. And when there's no mindfulness, that gets amplified into clinging and resisting. And then we get lost in a thought storm that takes us out of the present moment. And we end up spinning out in proliferation. So proliferation is that tendency to get completely entangled in our experience, taking it personally, identifying with it, instead of just staying mindfully present. So it can be very helpful to practice what we call bare awareness at these sense doors, to stay with the immediacy of the sights and the sounds and the smells and so on, without getting swept away in reaction. So here on retreat, we have the specialized conditions that support us to do that, to notice when we're moving away from just the immediacy of the experience into reactivity. And as I think you will know from your own experience, the earlier we can catch that sequence, that chain reaction, the easier it is to rein it in. Once it's become a full-blown proliferation thought storm, it's much harder to um, release it. So we can notice this movement into reactivity. And at one end of the chain reaction is just a bare awareness, just knowing, seeing, seeing, or hearing, hearing. And then at the other end is that mental activity, reactivity going into overdrive pushing us into that spin cycle that usually just creates and reinforces a strong sense of me. Someone at the center of it all that likes this and doesn't like that, wants this, doesn't want that, and has to work so hard to keep making the world out there conform to my needs. So that's the other end of the spectrum, the opposite from just their awareness. So at any point in time, we can notice where we are in terms of that chain reaction. And if we're heading towards proliferation, how can we help ourselves come back to balance? And one key way we can do that is to just come back to the sight, the sound, the smell, the taste, the physical sensations. So when we're closer to that kind of awareness, it's much easier to notice what's happening in the body, and separately, what's happening in the mind. And that too is a key skill in Vipassana practice, being able to distinguish between physical experiences in the body and reactivity in the mind. And it's a very crucial insight because 
We can't always control what happens to our bodies, but we do have some control over our mental reactions. So I think many of you know that famous discourse where the Buddha uses the metaphor of the second dart or second arrow. And he talks about... I'll I'll read you the words from the sutta. They're a little bit old-fashioned, but I think they're quite powerful. So he's talking about an untaught worldling. And an untaught worldling is somebody who doesn't have any meditation practice. So he says, when an untaught worldling is touched by a painful bodily feeling, he worries and grieves, he laments, beats his breast, weeps and is distraught. He thus experiences two kinds of feelings, a bodily and a mental feeling. It's as if a man were pierced by a dart, and following the first piercing, he's hit by a second dart, so that experience that person experiences feelings caused by two doubts. It's similar with an untaught worldling. When touched by a painful bodily feeling, he worries and grieves, laments, beats his breast, weeps and is distraught. So he experiences two kinds of painful feeling, a bodily and a mental painful feeling. So much of the training that we're doing here is to see if we can avoid adding the second dart, although, as I often say, more realistically, not just the second, but the third, the fifth, the twentieth, the hundredth dart. Again, based on my own experience, generally I don't just stop at two. (laughs) But the earlier we can catch that chain reaction, the easier it is to release it. It sounds quite simple. But the building block in all of this is the feeling tone that Dai introduced this morning. And it's at the point of feeling tone that we actually have a choice whether to fall into habitual wanting and liking if it's pleasant, not wanting, disliking if it's unpleasant, or spacing out or going after more stimulation if it's neutral. So in many ways, this feeling tone is the building block of that whole chain reaction into suffering. And I think that's one reason why the Buddha made it the entire second establishment of mindfulness in the Satipatthana Sutta. So the more we can restrain that reactivity, the more freedom we have to respond in a skillful way. Now, there's a caveat here, because sometimes when people first hear about this invitation to not get caught in reactivity, they might misunderstand, oh, we're supposed to somehow make ourselves into this lump of wood, or this stone that's completely inert and unfeeling or lifeless. But what I'm trying to point to is a distinction here between reaction and response. So by reaction, I mean that just habitual, unconscious, mindless pull into liking, disliking, clinging, resisting, greed, aversion, and so on. Whereas response is pointing to a more aware understanding, one that's not driven by old habits or instincts. So if we can bring awareness to feeling tone, 
we have a better chance of making an informed decision rather than just a knee-jerk reaction. The second common misunderstanding is that people assume when we talk about just being with pleasant particularly, I'm not supposed to enjoy anything anymore. Or maybe I should even avoid pleasant feeling tones because I might get attached to them. But it's not the feeling tone itself that's the issue. It's how we're relating to it. And sometimes people find that when they're able to stay with just the direct knowing of a pleasant feeling tone, it's actually more pleasant than when they get caught up in trying to hold on to that experience or resist it. Because both of those movements create an agitation in the mind that is unpleasant. So, for example, just using what might be a common experience here. Maybe you're outside walking, beautiful walking track in the bush, and a tui flies down and lands in a tree right next to your track. And it's sitting there in the sun, singing its melodious call. We don't need to just wish the tui wasn't there and just focus on the feet and grimly continue with our walking in a very disconnected kind of way. Instead, we can just know with mindfulness, oh, hearing, hearing, seeing, pleasant, pleasant. Know the pleasantness of the experience and and rest in it. And as we do that, we might start to notice that that supports other skillful mind states to arise too. Maybe you notice some calm or some contentment, some ease, some appreciation, some steadiness of mind. And noticing those pleasant mind states helps them to strengthen and deepen. And so the pleasant experience of seeing the tui and hearing the tui kickstarts a skillful chain reaction. And that's very different from perhaps a more habitual reaction that we might have outside of retreat. In fact, one that I had recently when we were on retreat at St. Francis, I happened to be by a kofi tree when a tui landed in it. And my response is, oh, how beautiful. Look at its feathers glinting in the sun. Wish I had my phone so I could take its picture. It would look really good and I could just see, I could post it online and share it with my friends and they'd probably really like it too. What a missed opportunity, such a pity. (laughs) So how long did that pleasantness last? As soon as there was grasping and attachment, it disappeared and then there was disappointment and frustration and so on because of that loss of mindfulness. So that's a pretty benign example, but I'm guessing all of us, we have our own examples of getting caught in reactivity to some kind of feeling tone in a way that led to harm, either for ourselves, for others, or both. And so bringing awareness to how we're responding to feeling tone can save us so much pain and suffering. And just as an example from my own experience, without going too much into specifics, but there was a time when I was on a long retreat at the Forest Refuge in Massachusetts, a few years ago now. And at that time, I was surprised. My mind just kept going back to a very painful interpersonal conflict that I'd had about five years before that retreat. 
And it was with a, a group of people who were in a position of power. So it got very contracted and complicated. So while I was meditating on that retreat, I kept noticing how my mind would get sucked into the story. Who said what? And how I reacted and what I should have said and how they behaved and how they should have behaved and who was right and who was wrong and on and on and on. I don't know if any of you recognize that. (laughs) This just kept playing over and over and over in my mind and I felt really stuck. So at one point, maybe we'd had a talk on Vedan and I thought, well, what would it be like to investigate that whole scenario in terms of feeling tone? And it was quite shocking, because what I realized was that whole conflict started with some unpleasant, hearing some unpleasant words, and seeing some unpleasant facial expressions, and feeling an unpleasant reaction in the body, and knowing an unpleasant emotion in the mind, and feeling a cascade of amplifying unpleasant sights and sounds, emotions, moods, mind state, thought patterns, and so on. And when I was looking at this at the forest refuge, I realized none of that drama was personal. It was the result of none of us, including me, being able to relate skillfully to unpleasant Vedana. And on some level, this is true of every conflict every war, every act of harmful behavior is because we don't know how to manage our responses to pleasant and unpleasant feeling tone. And so I started to understand more clearly why the Buddha made this, the whole second establishment of mindfulness. So here on retreat we have the benefit of being able to train in seeing our conditioned reactions to feeling tone. To see how we put so much energy in trying to get rid of unpleasant by fixing the conditions out there and not seeing we have an opportunity to change our response in here. So I'd like to offer us a guided meditation to explore that more directly now, to explore the push and pull of these feeling tones. When they're unpleasant, they push us away. When they're pleasant, we try to pull them in. And we're going to be doing this through exploring standing meditation, which we haven't done so far. So I'm going to invite us into standing meditation. And it's your choice, so please don't move just yet, because that's all going to be part of the meditation. I'm giving you the overview at this point. So after we come to standing, it's your choice how long you want to stand for. And what I'll be doing is ringing a bell at five-minute intervals. And if you can, you might wait until the bell rings before you choose to sit down. But while you're standing, you're invited to notice the interplay of feeling tones. To notice when the mind may start going into the push or the pull of reactivity and seeing if you can keep coming back to the immediacy of just the feeling tone and the sensation 
then at some point you may well choose, okay, it's time to sit down. So the bell rings, you sit down, you notice the change in the feeling tones. And then perhaps at the next bell you choose to stand again. So again, keeping your mind exploring and enjoying. See if this can be a fun exploration. It's not an exercise in endurance. You don't get extra points if you stay standing for the entire time. You don't get demerits if you sit down after two minutes. It's really about listening to your own body and exploring how the feeling tones are affecting, affecting the mind. So we'll do that for about uh, 15 or 20 minutes and then we'll just come to sitting and continue the rest of the session in mindfulness of breathing or whatever other uh, practice feels suitable for you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.